Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you that we get to gather together today. Father, we thank you for every spiritual blessing that you have gifted us in the heavens in Christ. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus to die on our behalf. May our praises be a glorious offering to you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray.
draws near and my time has come still my soul will sing your praise the Lord because he is our great God. So let's sing out this new song together. Behold Yeah. 
upon his hands, bearing all the guilt of sinful man. God eternal, humble to the grave, Jesus Savior, risen now to in prayer. Father God, we come before you now and we thank you for all that you've done for us and we worship you for all that you are. You are the one who knows all things. You are the one who has conquered every sin. And you're the one who will reign forever. 
Father, we come before you today expectant, waiting for you, waiting to hear the word that you would have for us. Father, we also come to you in joy and in a little bit of sadness as we prepare to send our sister off. Lord, we thank you for Reshma and the gift that she's been to this church. But Father, we also rejoice in the fact that you have given her a calling, a calling to go. And Lord, we thank you that she's going to Southern Lord. We thank you for the teaching and the faithfulness to your word there. And we just ask, Lord, that she would be built up, that she would be encouraged and strengthened for the task that you have for her in this life. Father, we also we also um, we pray for our nation. We pray for all the hurt and the fear. We pray for those who are ill and those who are well but are afraid of becoming ill. Father, we ask that you would put a hedge of protection around this congregation, your people here. And Father, that in this hedge of protection, we might be able to reach a lost and dying world that is afraid of exactly that, dying. And Father, may we preach the good news of your gospel to them, that they may receive life and life abundantly. And Father, as we come to the end of this time of prayer, we close with the prayer that you taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we also have forgiven our trespassers. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I invite you to turn with me to your Bibles in Ephesians 1. I am honored again to fill this pulpit in uh, Edemi's stead. I just wish that it could have been under different circumstances. Um, And I am also excited to bring to you what the Lord would have for us today. Also, I would like to invite you to stand to show honor to God's word as that God's word as I read our passage today. This is the word of the Lord, beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, 
to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. In him you were also sealed with the, Holy, with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, glorify yourself through me this morning as I preach your word. This is your word, not mine. This is your church, not mine. Show us your glory through the preaching of your word that we might behold Jesus in all his splendor. Help us to be attentive to what your spirit will say to us. May we be humble and ready to receive what it is you want us to hear. We ask all these things in the name above all names, Jesus Christ. Amen. You'll have to bear with me. My throat's a little dry, and singing and preaching will do that to you. I love a good story. There are so many things to love about the great tales of now and of old, such as The Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, A Tale of Two Cities, and Beowulf. Incredible epics of good versus evil, romance and love, overcoming adversity and trials, and even healing and redemption. Every one of these stories has a beginning, a middle, and an end. There is always something or someone your main protagonist must overcome in order to reach his goal. The truth is, there is an even greater story that is written and is still in the process of being told. It's the story of God, of a God, who created the heavens and the earth, all creation and man, God dwelt with man until man decided to sin against God and reject the good gifts that he had with God. God would then orchestrate all of human history in order to send his only son as fully God and fully man to redeem a whole world of sinful men who wanted nothing to do with him, seeking their own way. God is continuing to redeem for himself a people, the church, and has already begun the process of redeeming his creation by beginning with his image bearers. What we see in our passage today is the climax of God's story, the sending of Jesus Christ. Jesus' work 
in our redemption is the climax of all of redemptive history because from here on out is just falling action until we reach the new heavens and new earth. The victory has already been won. Our sin is finished by the price that Jesus has paid on the cross. And in his death, we find life and life abundantly. As we dive into our passage today, we will see the culmination of all of God's redemptive work for the praise of his glory in our glorious salvation. Beginning in verses 3 through 4. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. We see Paul speaking about God's blessing upon us. Notice the wording here. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. We received not just a couple blessings or a blessing here or there for being a good boy or girl. We receive every spiritual blessing in the heavens. It would have been enough for God just to pardon our sins and show us mercy. But God shows his extravagant and overflowing love in that he gives us every spiritual blessing we need. Also notice that there is a source of all of these blessings. Jesus Christ, our Lord, Savior, friend, teacher, elder brother, great high priest, and king is the source of all of these blessings. He is the one who died for and established our glorious salvation. So he is the fountain from which all of these blessings come. And what are these blessings? Verse 4 says, For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. We were chosen before the foundation of the world to be made holy and blameless. Now, holiness means to be set apart or dedicated to God. The Old Testament constantly emphasizes God's holiness. The best passage that encapsulates this truth is Isaiah 6, where God shows Isaiah an image of him lifted up with the angels surrounding him. An image that angels even fear to look upon or even fear that they be exposed to. And Isaiah's response is accurate for any normal person. Woe is me, for I am ruined because I am unclean. Leviticus 11.45 commands the people of Israel to be holy because the Lord is holy. But brothers and sisters, rejoice. For we are not left alone in our inability to be holy. God has made us holy through the blood of Jesus. And with this holiness, we receive blamelessness. Jesus commands in the Sermon on the Mount that we should be perfect, therefore, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Such a command is daunting, and it ranks up there with the rest of the hard teachings in Jesus' message on that day. But Jesus, after showing us our need, delivers us from this dilemma 
by making us blameless in him before the Father. We are made perfect in the Father's eyes because of Christ and will be made completely perfect when we are glorified in eternity. It would be amazing if the passage just ended there. But Paul keeps going. We receive something even better than holiness and blamelessness. We receive a relationship with our God. Verse 5 says, He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the pleasure of his will. God is now our Father and Christ our brother. We are not left as orphans, but are children of God. We who once were far off have been brought near and accepted because of Jesus. God is not ashamed to call us his children. He smiles on us every day as we all bring him glory by living out each day until eternity as his beloved sons and daughters. We hold the Father's ear. As children, we don't have to wait until we are summoned, but we have the ability and the right to come before God and speak to him directly. And this was not because of anything in us, but because of the gift of this glorious salvation to us. We also receive redemption. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together, both things in heaven and things on earth, in him. This is the beginning of how we are made God's children. God didn't just tell our sin to take a hike or just ignore the fact that we were sinners as he welcomed us into his presence. Jesus had to die so that God might purchase us out of our slavery to sin and death so that God might be the just and the justifier. We have redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. This includes the forgiveness of our sins. This is all according to the riches of God's grace. And this isn't a wasteful use of his grace or a surprise to God. God pours out all of this in all wisdom and understanding. This verse reminds me of another one of Paul's letters to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1 says, For the word of, God, or of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ 
crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and the foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. God's wisdom and understanding in redeeming us seems so crazy and ridiculous to the world. In God's infinite wisdom, this was the way by which we would be saved. There is no other way by which men or women or children can be saved. Praise the Lord for his thwarting of human wisdom in our glorious salvation. We are part of God's plan to unite all things in and under himself. Verses 11 through 12 speak of our inheritance. In him we have also received an inheritance, because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will, so that we who who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. One rendering of this text says that we are an inheritance. And that is true. We are the inheritance that Christ will receive on the final day in his bride, the church. But it also refers to the glorious, glorious gift of God giving himself to us, which we will fully experience in eternity. This will fully culminate in Christ's return. And this promise ties in to the final gift that we receive in our glorious salvation of the Holy Spirit. Verses 13 through 14 says, In him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. Would you just reflect on these truths for a moment? We were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when we heard the word of truth and the gospel of our salvation and when you believed. The Spirit didn't waste any time when he sealed us for eternity and our inheritance. The moment, the instant we heard the gospel and believed, it is the Spirit that brings the salvation to our hearts, and our lives. God chose us before the foundation of the world. Jesus died and rose on our behalf so that we might be forgiven and live. The Holy Spirit then brings both of these realities to bear on our lives and hearts as we hear the gospel. He awakens our dead hearts, unstops our deaf ears, and loosens our mute tongues to believe and confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We are secure in this salvation from the first hour, minute, and second. And it doesn't stop there. Paul explains that the Holy Spirit is the down payment or guarantee of our inheritance until Christ returns. One commentator writes, 
The gift of the Holy Spirit not only empowers believers to live holy lives, but also serves as a guarantee and a reminder that God will one day fully complete his work in believers. And what kind of, what kind of power is this power? If we look down a couple more verses, we will see in verses 18 what kind of power he describes. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. According to the mighty working of his strength, and this is what that strength did, he exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. This is the power that lives within us. The power to move mountains and conquer strongholds in the name of Jesus. This power is not given, for, given to us for us to live ordinary mundane lives, but to live set apart as holy priestesses and priests of the kingdom. Set apart lives transform the space and the world around them because we are bringing the kingdom of God to bear on the kingdom of the prince of this world. In the Holy Spirit, we experience a direct line to the Father and his wisdom. I could go on and on about the Holy Spirit and the gift he is in our lives, but there are a couple themes in this passage that I want to look at. There are exactly three themes that we see as beautiful threads in the tapestry of this passage. The first one is that all of this, our glorious salvation, is done according to his good pleasure. Our glorious salvation, our blessings, our holiness, our inheritance, our seal with the Holy Spirit, and our empowerment are all good and pleasing to God. He doesn't do any of this begrudgingly or out of obligation, which is not true in the slightest. He's not obligated to save us, but does this because it is good and pleasing to him. He loved doing this work on our behalf. I also want to point out that because this was all done in Jesus, that it, this is even more pleasing to him. You could even say, that Jesus being part of the equation was what makes this not just for his pleasure, but for his good pleasure. Second, this glorious salvation was done according to his will. Now, the Lord has been specifically teaching me about this point in my own life. The Lord asked me to do a very hard thing recently. You see, I want so desperately to be married. So much sometimes that it hurts physically inside. I have even been going through cycles over the last couple months 
of being completely okay, then being overcome by an intense desire. By the way, every desire and emotion and everything that I feel is turned up to an intense level that most normal people can't understand. Um, it's how God made me, and I own it. I may be scary to normal people, but I don't care. And then, at the end of these cycles, I would end up feeling depressed and in a slump because there seemed to be no way of achieving such a goal. One night, a couple weeks ago, I was hanging out with our brother Dennis, and he brought up these cycles that I had been dealing with. He suggested that I take it to the Lord and ask him what he wanted to do. To be completely honest, I wasn't too hyped about this concept. I was afraid of the answer and what that could entail. It might mean giving over complete control to a holy and sovereign God. And if you're living in a fleshly understanding of this life, that's the last thing you want to do. Later that night after Dennis left, I sat down and I spoke with the Lord about this issue. I was still quite scared when I stepped out in faith to hear what the Lord's leading would be. As I got ready for bed that night, the Lord gently whispered, Surrender, in the form of the song Surrender by Barlow Girl. The lyrics of the chorus go like this. Surrender, surrender. You whisper gently. You say I will be free. I know, but can't you see? My dreams are me. Now, I've heard this song close to a hundred times. That's not saying much, because if there is any song that I like, I will listen to it at least ten times a day. Um, I mean, remember, I feel everything intensely, so even my love for things is intensified to an extreme. After this answer, I was frustrated, to say the least. I was miserable all of the next day and on that Saturday. On that morning, the Spirit led me to listen to Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. I listened to it about five times, and I just absolutely ate it up. The Spirit continued to emphasize in all areas of this glorious salvation that it was carried out according to His will. He then led me to Romans eight twenty eight. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. This surrender in this moment would work out for my good. God's will is good. It is very good. It pleases him to accomplish all of this through Jesus and to make me his child. I know that my good, good father will give me good gifts like he already has in my salvation. As I got ready for work that day, I sang songs such as One Thing Remains, Take It All, My Heart Is Yours, 
and sovereign as I pursued this directing of the Lord in faith. I took a step further into that salvation or into that surrender of my dream of having a wife. While I am surrendering this dream, this desire, and this season, I can trust his will because it ultimately moves in the direction of his good pleasure. The glory of the Lord is my extreme benefit. And this ties into the theme that we see in the passage. The final theme is that God does all of this to the praise of his glory. Remember how last week Pastor Demi preached about the glory of God and how it was Christ's chief goal in the end. Every part of our glorious salvation is glorious because it ultimately brings glory to its author and perfecter and sustainer of it. We are chosen before the foundation of the world for God's glory. We are adopted and made holy and blameless for God's glory. We are redeemed and sealed for our inheritance to the praise of his glory. This is the story of God, remember? We are just side characters who get the honor of playing a part in God's ultimate story. Our very presence in heaven will bring glory to God. My pastor back home, Dr. Herschel York, once said that God will be able to point us for eternity as evidence that he is a good and gracious God. And all we can do is say, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Now, such a glorious salvation is made even more glorious by the alternative. The beginning of Ephesians 2 offers us a glance at what could have been if we had not been chosen for this gift. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once previously walked, According to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. We would be dead in our sins. Dead people can't do anything. Without Jesus, we are zombies wandering through life until we reach our destruction. We wouldn't know God's good gifts from Satan's counterfeits. We hunger like zombies do for living flesh, for something real. But there is no way without Christ to satisfy that hunger. We would just be following the ways of this world like everybody else. And we would still be under the ty- Satan's tyrannical, abusive, and horrific rule. We would be out of control, living in the freedom that our fleshly thoughts would provide in sin upon sin, piling up more and more wrath for ourselves on the day of final judgment. We would be called children of wrath, just like everybody else. But that's not your story if you are in Christ. 
Jesus died on your behalf so you might receive all the wonderful gifts that I and Paul have described this morning. But if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is still very much your existence and will remain your existence into eternity as you suffer for your rejection and rebellion against God's ways. If you would just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins and rose to give you eternal life and repent from your sins, then this glorious salvation is yours. You can satisfy your hunger with the bread of life, who is Jesus, and sate your thirst in the fountain of life, who is the Holy Spirit within the believer. You will find healing for your emotional pain and scars of the past. You will not be made perfect in an instant, but wearing the righteousness of Jesus applied by the Holy Spirit, you can begin an eternity now by walking in a set-apart relationship for your heavenly Father. You will be holy and blameless, child of God, redeemed for an inheritance in the kingdom of God, and sealed for that inheritance by the Holy Spirit until Jesus Christ again takes us home to be with him in the new heavens and new earth where there's no COVID and no disease. No sin. No pain. No tears. I was originally supposed to well, I was originally set on preaching from Philippians 4 this morning due to our current circumstances in the world. But I woke up the other morning with these words on my tongue and in my mind. Giver of every breath I breathe, author of all eternity, giver of every perfect thing, to you be the glory. Maker of heaven and of earth, No one can comprehend your worth. King over all the universe, to you be the glory. And I am alive because I'm alive in you. And it's all because of Jesus I'm alive. It's all because the blood of Jesus Christ. It covers me and raised this dead man's life. It's all because of Jesus I'm alive. Every sunrise sings your praise. The universe cries out your praise. Singing freedom all my days. Now that I'm alive. In that moment, I said aloud, Wow, that's a great summation of Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. And it was like the Holy Spirit knocked on the back of my head and said, Why do you think I've had you in this passage for the last couple weeks? Accept this free gift of salvation in belief and repentance, and you too can sing this truth out. Please stand with me as I close this in prayer. Father, we thank you for this glorious salvation. And we thank you for the fact that it is not 
in our own strength, but it is in your strength and your gifts alone in Jesus Christ that we are saved. Father, we just ask that these next couple moments would just be a glorious and a fragrant offering to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church. Christ 
we spoke about our glorious adoption this morning. So let's sing that out as children of God. Say, I am who you say. 
our time of benediction hear these words from Ephesians 1 I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the glorious Father would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling What is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength? Go forward, brothers and sisters, rejoicing in this glorious salvation that is ours. You are dismissed until we return again, Lord willing. Peace be with you.